We're studying the first three chapters of Romans in this series, Vital Truths in Focus. And these are vital truths. In these chapters, Paul basically lays out the the gospel worldview, a worldview that's no longer dominant in our culture. Every sociologist will tell you uh, we live in a post-Christian nation. Now, in our text today, the Apostle Paul says that some people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Think about that. That means they possessed the truth about God, and they willingly gave it up and adopted a lie. Now, last week, Pastor James was preaching uh, verses 18 to 23, and in that text, Paul said, well, actually, everybody has knowledge about God by looking at the creation because the creation is constantly testifying to the divine nature and eternal power of God so that no one so that uh, we are all without excuse no matter where we live on the planet um, but boy here in the United States I mean it wasn't so long ago when the biblical the gospel worldview was the dominant worldview not accepted by everybody of course but certainly talked about and respected in the public square and so uh, we as a society have chosen to exchange the truth about God that we possessed for a lie and so now we uh, are very um, publicly proclaiming we are a secular society and we don't talk about God in our public discourse or, or the laws of God in our public discourse. We have exchanged the truth about God for a lie because secularism, atheism, that, that's a lie. And it has serious consequences that Paul talks about in our text today. Now, one of the things that Paul, I, I would say a thesis in these first couple of chapters of Romans is that Whenever there is godlessness, wickedness follows, whether that's in an individual's life or a society. When you abandon faith in God and you no longer worship and serve the creature, or the creator, but you begin to worship and serve the creature, wickedness will follow. So God designed us in order to worship and serve Him. And why would we worship and serve God? Why would you worship and serve God? Why do I worship and serve God? Because I believe that my best chance for my best life is to worship and serve God. Right? The Bible says, you know, you want to please God, you've got to believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And so the proper way to order your life is toward God, worshiping Him, serving Him, believing that He will take care of you. He'll give you your best life both here and in the life to come. But that there's been another exchange. Unfortunately, many people have booted God off the throne of their lives and they have put on the throne something God created. Maybe it's yourself, right? Because I'm a created being. Uh, It could be yourself. It could be another person. It could be a relationship. It could be sex. It could be power. It could be fame. It could be physical health. It could be comfort. It could be revenge. And so what happens is we say, worshiping and serving God is not my best chance for my best life. Getting revenge. Getting that, posi- uh, that uh, promotion. Winning that gold medal. 
having that house, getting that job, being in that relationship, having my children uh, succeed. Now, there is a proper way to enjoy the creation because everything God created, he says, it's good, and he created it for our blessing. And there's a proper way to relate to the creation, and it's to enjoy it with a thankful heart in the way God said it, to, it should be enjoyed. But you limit yourself to enjoying the creation according to God's ways. So for a couple weeks ago, Pastor James showed us a picture of a, a really nice mountain bike that he said, I want. That's okay. You can want it, but you can't go steal it, right? If God wants you to have it, then, then he'll give it to you uh, in the right way. So you can work and save for it in order to buy it. You can plead with your wife. You can tell your church so somebody feels bad and buys you the bicycle. No. I don't know if that's right, actually. But you, you limit yourself to pursuing the created things according to the ways of God. And you're trusting God. And if he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me in the right way. But unfortunately, many people begin to worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And amen. And when that happens, all hell breaks loose in your life, literally. And that's what Paul's talking about in our text today. But before we jump in there, let me just, a simple question you can ask to uncover whether or not some created thing is becoming an idol in your life. And it's just this question. Has the I want become I need, right? I want, God, I, I would love this bicycle. I would love to be in this relationship. I want my kids to, I would love to be healthy. Fine. I want is perfectly fine, and we go to God with it, and we, but when you say, I need it, I can't be happy without it, I won't be fulfilled without it, when I want becomes I need, an idol begins to form in our lives, and then we start to worship and serve that. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're looking today at verses 24 to 32. If you miss any sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. Of course, it's better to be here in person. You feel the power better in person. Okay. Romans 1, 24. Therefore, why is the, whenever you encounter a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, here's, here's why the therefore is there, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Now in our text there are, I think it's actually a, uh, a progression down. Uh, the, uh, increasing levels of societal depravity that result from abandoning the worship and service of God in favor of the created thing. Uh, and the first 
is immorality, and that word has a particular sexual connotation, or impurity, it's a sexual connotation. So it's really talking about sexual immorality. But in verses 26 and 27, um, he talks about uh, homosexuality, which is often referred to as um, against nature. So you, sexual immorality, then sexual perversion. And then in verses 28 to 32, about a depraved mind. And I think that those are progressively uh, destructive. So sexual immorality is uh, sex between a man and a woman outside the context of marriage. And when a person begins to uh, abandons uh, faith in God, then God's rules are no longer a constraint in their lives. And so we know what the Word of God says, right? God created sex. In fact, when I was a young man, this was very important. I heard God created sex. Mike, he wants you to have it, lots of it. And I went, oh. And he said, but in the context of marriage. And I said, oh, I can wait for that. Okay. He's not trying to withhold this from me. But there's a proper context. Um, but when, when you're no longer worshiping and serving God, but you are serving the creation, you say, why in the world should I limit my bodily pleasures, my sexual appetite, to you know, what God has ordained? Uh, and so there's premarital sex, extramarital sex, and on and on it goes. Then in verses 26 to 28, he talks about not just blowing through God's law, but blowing through nat natural law. So listen to this, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Uh, does the Bible condemn homosexuality? Absolutely. Both here, Leviticus, other places. Um, homosexuality is considered a, called a dishonorable passion. It's called contrary to nat nature. It's a shameless act, and it carries a penalty. Uh, it is sin. It is not right. But the, the point Paul's saying here is that uh, once, you, once you say, I, I'm not going to worship God or serve God, I'm not going to let the law of God constrain me, why should you allow natural law to constrain you? Now, you look at nature, uh, and it's pretty evident that biological males mate with biological females. Biological males don't mate with biological males. Biological females don't mate with biological females. But who, you know, who cares? I'm serving the creature, not the creator. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so you, you blow right through that. But here, So here's the point. The point is that... When a society uh, no longer worships and serves God, when a society exchanges the truth about God for a lie, this, um, what was done in secret, and by the way, it's, it's always been done in secret, what's in the closet comes out into the open, and society says, this is good, come on out, 
We accept all of this. We tolerate all of this. We don't see any of this as bad. And so the, the society, all of a sudden, sexual immorality begins to proliferate in society. It's public. And then, then the next thing that happens is homosexuality begins to proliferate in the society. And it becomes public and accepted and tolerated. This was, uh, this was happening. This had happened in Paul's day. I mean, this is thousands of years ago. He's exegeting Roman society. And might I suggest to you that that's absolutely what's happening in the United States. And, and it's on an increasingly quick um, slide or trajectory. So here's a, a statistic that I think is evidence of this. Um, so the Gallup poll in 2012, I don't know if they looked earlier, but in 2012 they started asking Americans, uh, how do you identify yourself sexually? And in 2012, it was 3.5% of uh, Americans self-identified as either LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, so not heterosexual. Um, in just eight years, 2020, last last time for which we have data, it had risen to 5.6%. I mean, that's like 70% increase. Amongst people 25 and younger, it's all the way to 15.6%. One-sixth. And um, even secular scientists say the explosion is amongst young people of, of those who are um, experimenting and um, identifying as something other than, well, they would say cisgender, uh, other than you know, heterosexual, is just staggering. And why is it? And people are perplexed. Well, it, it's not perplexing. <laughs> Paul told us, God told us thousands of years ago, when a society abandons faith in God and begins to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, sexual immorality will begin to proliferate. And that happened when? Starting in the 60s, just went crazy. And then starting in, what, the 2000s, homosexuality has just gone crazy. And, and it, it happens because we have abandoned God, the proper ordering of our lives uh, around God. And we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie as a society. And we have begun to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator as a society. Guardrails. Let me talk a moment about guardrails. So, I've got a picture here, right? Why are those guardrails there? So you don't get hurt. <laughs> so you don't blow right, you know, go careening off the cliff and die. And guardrails are a, a safety mechanism. Well, the law of God, the, the example of nature, are guardrails that God has put in place for our health so that we live in harmony with his created world and experience shalom, peace, well-being, wholeness. But what happens is, when, is that when you no longer worship and serve God and exchange the truth of God for a lie, you'll, the guardrails come off and you'll blow right through. Uh, you know, the, the guardrails aren't there anymore in your life. I think that's what it says three times. Verse 24, God gave them up. 26, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. 
He's taking away the guardrails. So all of us have a sin nature. And that sin nature is wanting to work its destructive power in our lives. But the sin nature, your sin nature is limited by God when you worship and serve him. When you seek to obey him. Then he actually protects you from the destructive power of sin breaking out in your life. Not, you know, none of us are perfectly, that's not a perfect because none of us are perfectly walking in faith. But we, we who seek to worship and serve God, the guardrails are in place, which is why we have the best possible chance at our best possible life. So you don't want the guardrails to come off. Otherwise, you're going to experience sin's destructive effect in your life uh, in, a, in a much greater way. I want to talk about, I don't know if this is the right title, I think about it as the progression of sin. But um, I, think it's, I think it's where we're supposed to be is this. I know what God says, I trust God, I'm going to obey Him. Right? That's where we're supposed to live our lives. I know what God says, I trust Him. Right? He wants what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. And so I'm not going to second guess him. I'm not going to go situational ethics. I'm just going to say, if God says it, I need to obey it. And, uh, right? But then it's, I, I, here's another place you can go. I know what God says, but I want the opposite. And boy, I hope he's exaggerating in the consequences. Right? And Christians can get there too. I've been here in many, many times in my life. I know what God says. I even believe that there's a, there's a consequence associated with disobeying him, but I want that. And boy, I hope that he's exaggerating the consequences. You won't surely die. I mean, come on, God's exaggerating to you, said, said Satan to Adam and Eve. And then there's another place you can go where you say, I know what God says, but he's wrong. He's wrong. I'm actually better off doing this than obeying God. And there's the, you know, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. So do you believe that God is trustworthy? Do you believe that God exaggerates? Do you believe that God deceives? If you, be, if you believe that God exaggerates in order to control you or that he deceives in order to control you and to keep you from your best life, you're not going to obey. Now, we Christians talk a lot about sex, at least sexual immorality, right? And so the world often thinks that Christians think sex is like the worst sin possible. You certainly talk about it a lot. But the Bible, I think the Bible is very clear that, that sins of the body are not at all the worst sins. They're indicative of a slide away from God, right? I'm not willing to uh, limit my bodily pleasures to, to, to God's boundaries. Well, that's, that's indicative of a lack of faith. It's indicative of a rebellious heart. And it's certainly very, you know... Uh, in our culture, uh, and so it's, I won't even say it's easy, it's just, it's logical that we would point that out. But, sins of the spirit, sins of the heart, uh, they are the far, far more destructive 
than the sins of the body. And I think that's why we, after talking about sexual immorality and then sexual perversion, Paul goes on to now talk about these sins of the Spirit. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Wow. What, what happens when you have a debased mind? Well, here's what happens. You can no longer discern what is good or bad for you. You want to. You want your best life. You want to make the right choice, the one that's going to make you happy and healthy. But you have a debased mind. God gives you up to a, base, a debased mind. Uh, sin has distorted, the, distorts the way you think, and, and you cannot discern what is right and wrong, which means that you're trying your best to, to be blessed, and everything keeps blowing up in your face. It's because you have a debased mind. And one of the things God promises is at, when we put Him first is that so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and pleasing will of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit will help you discern what's best. Which is why I think as Christian people, so often we look at our, our, our non-Christian friends and we think, how can you not see <laughs> what the right good path is? Why do you keep taking these? Ah, they're just so obvious to those who know the Lord and have been instructed in his word and have the mind of Christ. We're like, do you, can, how can you not see that's going to blow up in your face and, and lead to death, not life? But they've got a debased mind. And because they have a debased mind, their lives, not because they're trying to blow their lives up, but their lives are filled with, I hope you can see this, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And this is describing our culture. This is, this is I mean, if you look at this... <laughs> Is America Day more, more full of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness? Read through this list on your own time and think about what these things mean. Insolent, haughty, boastful. Yes, far more than it used to be. Isn't, we were never pure, but, but the farther we move from God as a society, the more this characterizes our lives, and it, it does so with the individual as well. By the way, when you're born in that society, do you think it rubs off on you? <laughs> yeah, the Bible calls it a corrupting influence. So you're, you're born in that, and society's values and its morals are, are trying to get on you. 
and you will absorb it. Paul actually talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think what Paul's saying is, you will begin to look like the culture in which you live unless you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, which requires repeated exposure to the Word of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will counsel you. And it's the only chance we have to not become just like the world. But is it any wonder that, that our young people, not just young people, many, many, many Christians who are in our churches but not taking God seriously uh, are, are, are beginning to have the same moral compass as the world in which we live. I don't know how many young people are, uh, who, who grow up in the church are now walking away from the church precisely over this issue of the church's views on sexuality. And I think that's what the last verse is talking about. Look at this. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they know what the Bible says. <laughs> they know that the wages of sin is death. They've heard it. Although they know this, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So you've moved from, I know it's wrong, but I want to do it and I'm going to do it anyways, to, you know what? It's not bad. It's actually good. Isaiah talks about this. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Throw it up on the screen. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Does that happen? Do people actually say, what is truly evil say, actually, that's good? Or truly good and say, that's evil? They did, they did in Isaiah's day. They did in Paul's day. And they absolutely do, do in our day. Stuff that is truly evil. And society says, no, no, it's good. And stuff that is actually good and society says, that's bigoted. That's evil. We need to suppress that. We need to outlaw that. That's not good for us. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, their moral compass is off. They're completely, you know, topsy-turvy. By the way, I don't want to tell you how to vote, but this one has always, when I find, this is just me, this is Michael. I'm not preaching the word of God. I'm just talking. But when I find a political candidate who is pro-abortion, like they call it pro-choice, I'm thinking your moral compass is off. And if your moral compass is up there, why would I think you're going to have a good moral compass other places? That just is me. That influences me as a citizen. Okay. Um, go to the next slide here, my big moral compass. Yeah, the compass. So they've got a debased mind. And when you have a debased mind, you, you know, your, your, your moral compass no longer true, points true north, right? And you can't, you know... And so we live in, yeah, and bottom line is we live in a society that where they're practicing wickedness and not only doing that, but approving. And, 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 we're, and so you have, for example, well, anyways, you, you know what I'm saying. All right, what, so what do we do? 
Well, first off, if you're, a, if you're an individual and you are convicted right now by the Holy Spirit that you have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and you have begun to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, what do you do? You abandon your idolatry and you return to God in faith. The Bible says you, calls that repent of your sins and you put your faith in God's son Jesus because by embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the way you return to God. And so if do that and then God will begin to restore your mind and he will begin to restore your moral compass and he will, he will begin to, the guardrails will go back on as you obey him and he'll begin to protect you. And it's awesome. Now, what do we do? Okay, I suspect that, you, that you're sitting there thinking, yes, I have been seeing this you know, moral slide in society and it's distressing the heck out of me. What do I do? Well, it's distressing. It is distressing. And yes, there is righteous anger. But... But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So how constructive is it for us to get angry? I don't think it's very constructive. Well, what's the problem? What's the root problem? The root problem is people have abandoned God and begun to serve the creature rather than the creator. So the solution is repentance and faith. The, the solution is the gospel. <laughs> So how, how do we constructively engage with a society that looks like Romans 1, 24 to 28? Well, what did the early Christians do? Did the early Christians, you know, pick up physical arms and try to seize control of, uh, you know, of the governments under which they lived? Not that we know of. The Bible says they were on mission, right? They did church. They were out there preaching the gospel and society saw many of them as a threat and they were burned at the stake and they were eaten by lions and they were thrown into prison and they were right persecuted but their solution for how to you know address a, a, a wicked society was to preach the gospel because they knew the only solution is an individual human heart turning from idolatry back to faith in God. I wish there were a, a sweeping, giant, easy solution, but it, it, it really comes down to your neighbors, your friends, your family members, and mine hearing about Jesus, seeing us live it out, and, and saying, give me the reason for the hope that's within you. I think I need Jesus too. And then he'll reorient their lives, right? He'll reorient their lives. So, it's distressing. But we have, we, we have the solution. <laughs> we do, the church. And so let's not just gather at Wendler and, and preach it to ourselves, as important as that is, but let's take it out there into the world and be on mission together. Let me end with some questions for you to just wrestle with in your own heart. Number one. Have I allowed my desire for a created thing to become a need? I want, has it become a need? Two, do I believe that God is trustworthy? 
Or do I think he exaggerates sometimes to control me? Or that he even deceives? Am I living outside the guardrails of natural law or God's law that are to protect me? What's my life filled with? Is my life filled with the byproducts of a debased mind or the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Am I approving what ought not to be done? Am I approving what ought not to be done? Let's pray. Lord, it's sad, to, it, it's sad to see cultures that have gone from godless to being significantly impacted, affected, changed by the gospel, and then to slide back into godlessness. That's heartrending, Lord. But the fact of the matter is, this, is, this cycle isn't going to be over until you return. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But between now and then, we will be on mission. Help us to get out the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.